Well, we have here in our gospel lesson a story about judgment. And stories about judgment always seem to have a way of unsettling us. Stories about judgment always seem so uncompromising, even harsh. How could a loving God judge anyone, let alone condemn them? There are two things that I want to highlight from this passage. One of the things I think should indeed make us very nervous, but the other thing should provide us with the greatest reassurance possible. The problem with these two things is that we most often get them backwards. We take reassurance from the thing that should make us nervous, and we get nervous about the thing that should reassure us. And because we do that, stories like this one, stories about judgment, have a way of unsettling us. So first I'm going to talk about the thing that should make us nervous. This is unfortunately the thing that we more often tend to look to for reassurance. But in doing so, we cause ourselves to miss the real assurance and the real comfort that this lesson is intended to provide. The part that should make us nervous has to do with the way that we think about those identified as the sheep and those identified as the goats. Both the sheep and the goats have something to say. And they both say essentially the same thing. When the sheep hear that they ministered to the Son of Man, they say, Lord, when? We never did that. And when the goats hear that they did not minister to the Son of Man, they say the same thing, Lord, when? We never did that. And then the Son of Man says to the sheep, when you did it to the least of these, members of my family, you did it to me. And to the goats, he says, when you did not do it to these, the members of my family, you did not do it to me. Now, why should that worry us? The reason I think that should make us nervous has to do with our tendency to want to try and make sure that we are one of the sheep and not one of the goats. In other words, we usually turn this story into a little morality play. Good guy, sheep over there, bad guy, goat over there. Clearly, this story is intended to encourage us to help those in need so that we can be sure to end up as one of the good guys and not one of the bad guys. I do not think that's what this story is about. There may be a helpful little reminder here about the importance of helping those in need, but that is actually not the main point. There is something else going on here. We should not read this story in a way that encourages us to identify with either the sheep or the goats. Instead, we should read this story in a way that enables us to identify with those the Son of Man calls the members of his family. I was hungry, says Jesus. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked. I was sick. I was in prison. That's who this lesson calls us to be because that's who Jesus is. We are not the ones who offer help. We are to be the ones who need help because those are the ones with whom Jesus identifies. This story is not a morality play. Its primary message is not about the importance of helping those in need. This story is about the proclamation of the gospel of Christ 
to all nations. Where do the sheep and the goats come from? All the nations are gathered before the Son of Man. And why are they gathered? They are gathered to hear the judgment of the one who has been proclaimed to them in both word and deed, proclaimed by those who are members of the family of the Son of Man, those who have emptied themselves and have gone forth in weakness and in humility, without power and without protection, to testify to a gospel of mercy and of glory. This story does not chiefly call us to be counted among the sheep, to be the ones who help. When we read the story in that way, that leaves our lives relatively untouched. It leaves us in a position of relative security, in a position of strength, a place from which we can reach down to those less fortunate and give them a hand and feel pretty good about doing so. Reading the story in that way gives us a sense of reassurance precisely at the point at which we should be the most nervous. Can we be numbered not among the sheep, amongst those who are strong enough to offer help, but can we be numbered among those Christ calls the members of his family, among those who embody his vulnerability and his weakness, among those who need help and comfort and support. This story calls us to be the ones who have so totally given of themselves in our dedication to the proclamation of the gospel that we are the ones who are now in need of support. The ones who proclaim the gospel of the Son of Man are the ones who have emptied themselves and have gone to the lowest place and have identified with those who are hungry and are thirsty and are broken because that is what the Son of Man has done. Do we dare to follow where he has led? Do we want to find ourselves members of his family? That's a rather unsettling question. That's the first part. What about the second part? The second part, you will recall, is the part that most often makes us nervous but is actually the part that should give us the greatest reassurance possible. The second part, the part that is intended to comfort, is that, yes, there will be judgment. And as I said earlier, stories about judgment always make us nervous because they always seem so uncompromising. How can a loving God judge anyone? But to ask that question is to fundamentally misunderstand the nature of God's judgment. We think of judgment how? We think of judgment in terms of deliberation. A case comes before a court, there's a prosecution, there's a defense, there's evidence, there's an argument, there's consideration of precedent, there's the requirement of the law, and at the end of it all, we get a judgment. And we hope that most of the time, we get it mostly right that we have achieved some approximation of justice. God doesn't judge like that because God doesn't have to judge like that. We say it every week at the beginning of our worship. To God, all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from God, no secrets are hid. God doesn't have to deliberate because God already knows. God knows us better than we know ourselves. The judgment of God is nothing other than God's forthright pronouncement 
of what has always been and what will always be the case in our response to God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, there are ultimately only two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God is eventually forced to say, thy will be done. God condemns no one. We condemn ourselves. And in our pride and in our shame, we are happy to do so. Jesus himself said as much on more than one occasion. But here is the good news. Here is the reassurance. Our word to God may very well be no, but that is our word. God's word to us, God's incarnate word to us is always yes. For in him, every one of God's promises is fulfilled. That should be a profound source of reassurance because what it means is that God is for us. The one who could condemn, the one who has every reason to condemn, has called us friends instead. God has not waited for us to get it together and come to him. God has come to us. As St. Paul put it, while we were yet sinners, while we were still stuck in the middle of our rebellion, stuck in the middle of our pride, stuck in the middle of our shame, in the middle of our judgment, God comes to us and Christ dies for us. We were determined to say no to God. We did our very best to do it. But God came to us anyways and said, yes. When we hear that word of affirmation and when we respond with our own affirmation, then the word of God's judgment becomes a word of grace and mercy. Because there is no conflict, there is not even tension between God's judgment and God's mercy. God's mercy is a judgment and his judgment is a mercy. The mercy that is given to us in Jesus brings judgment because it shows us our need for God. The judgment that God gives to us in Jesus brings mercy because it shows to us God's love for us. As it says in the Psalms, when God's salvation is revealed, then righteousness and peace kiss each other. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels come with him, everything will be revealed, not just him, but us too. And everything in all creation, we will see him as he is and we will see ourselves as we are. And in his letter to the Romans, St. Paul suggests that the creation actually yearns for God's judgment, for it is God's judgment that will set creation free. Paul writes, the whole creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation has been subjected to futility in the hope that the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the same freedom and the same glory as the children of God, the members of the family of the Son of Man. We hear the same thing the first epistle of John. Beloved, because we have been born of Christ, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. But what we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, 
for we will see him as he is. The judgment of God means nothing other than the final revelation of all things as they are found in God's word, in God's incarnate word, crucified and raised for us for our salvation, and now seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority, above all power and all dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. God has put all things under his feet for our sake, so that when we acknowledge him as King and Lord, we are made children of God. There can be no greater reassurance than the judgment of God given to us in Jesus Christ. All those who are in Christ, all those who are members of his family are called to go forth and to proclaim to all the nations that Christ is King and Lord. We are called to go forth in weakness for that is how his power is manifest. We are called to go forth in humility because that is how his glory is revealed. We are called to go forth as servants because that is how the Son of Man came to us. So let us pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we might know the hope to which we have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among those who are in him? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for all who hear his word of judgment and say, yes. Amen.